This is the Photography Podcast on photography.ca, episode number 108, Why Shoot Film? An interview with John Meadows. Hey there, photo lovers. How's it going? And welcome to the 108th photography podcast on photography.ca. My name is Marco. And as always, we're coming to you from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. For today's show, we are going to do a podcast on uh, why shoot film. Believe it or not, there are still plenty of people uh, shooting film. And uh, today we're going to feature an interview with a fine art photographer, John Meadows. But before we get into it, I always like to thank people for their comments on our last podcast, number 107, where we talked about uh, getting photorealistic HDRs and we interviewed uh, Royce Howland. A lot of people found that podcast really, really interesting. And uh, Peter, Del Benson Photography, Mike Langford, Rob S., Chris F., Lucille B., John Starmer and Royce Howland all left uh, comments in the show notes, which is our favorite way to get them. Uh, Photography.ca forward slash blog. Uh, Whenever you hear one of our podcasts and you comment there, it's the preferred way to get them. Special hats off to uh, Royce Howland, who actually added two complete extra pages of HDR uh, commentary into the blog post uh, just to make it even more informative and really, really good commentary. So uh, check this week's show notes for uh, the extra info on uh, the last podcast number 107. Thanks again, Royce, and thanks to everyone for the comments. All right, then let's just get right into today's podcast. It's an interview with a fine art photographer, John Meadows. It's close to 40 minutes long, which is a little longer than we normally go, so I'm going to stop talking and we're going to get right into it now. And I'd like to welcome a really special guest to our podcast uh, this morning. Uh, Today's guest is John Meadows. And John is a a fine art photographer, and he comes to us from uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And uh, today we're going to talk about why shoot, why to shoot. And today we're going to talk about why shoot film. You know, these days the majority of us are, the vast majority of us are shooting digital, but yet there are a few people that still shoot film. And uh, John Meadows is indeed one of them. So before we continue further, welcome to the podcast, John. Appreciate you doing this. Oh, thank you, Marco. It's uh, a true pleasure to be here. Awesome. So let's just get right into it because I know we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, film photography, which, which is a topic that we could both go on for for a really long time. Let's let's just talk about why do why do you shoot film, John? Everyone's shooting digital. Why do you shoot film? Well, if I look at a, a photograph, a finished photograph, as a destination, uh, to me the the journey is just as important. And so, if the journey is like taking the picture, using the equipment, developing the picture, uh, like the negative, and doing the print, to me that's just as important. And I find that uh, those that the technology I use in that case and the techniques really, really have a huge impact on how the final picture turns out. So for me, it's uh, it's important. And even though I do use uh, digital cameras and even do a lot of hybrid work where I scan negatives and do post work on them, using the older cameras and the older technology for me really defines a lot of my work. And is it mostly about the workflow? Can you not achieve identical results using uh, the new process of the day versus, you know, film processing? To be fair, I would say in many cases you can get close. Yeah. Um, it also depends what the the final 
the final viewing environment of the picture is going to be. If you're seeing something online in electronic format, then I'd say it's pretty much a wash. To my mind, though, if I, let's say, do a print on high-quality, fiber-based, uh, traditional photographic paper in a darkroom, there is something magical and special about that which I think, although the digital world and the inkjet printers and the papers are getting much, much better every year, to my mind, it's still close but no cigar. When you hold a beautiful black and white print, let's say, or a print that you've developed, in your mind, when you hold that print in your hand, are you not seeing the same result or is it more of a feeling? Because like I'm actually, and, and this is not meant as a debate. This is only meant to actually encourage some people to shoot black and white. And we'll talk about some of the advantages. I love paper. I love all kinds of paper, the fiber-based kind, the new digital kind. I love it all. And I've held some really uh, kick butt computer paper in my hand, like from, you know, companies like Hanami will come to mind really quickly. But you're saying you could still feel a difference. For you, there's still more magic in the film. Yes, and especially in the area of black and white. And it's interesting that you mentioned Hanamil because they worked with a company called Ilford you know, to do a lot of uh, black and white work, who actually, about a year or so ago, introduced a paper called Art 300, which was an unabashedly old-fashioned textured art paper that has just taken the film world by storm. The fact that someone, like in a day and age where every year there are fewer and fewer papers available, someone would go and introduce a paper like that and... It's almost like you have to see it in person. What's the name of that uh, paper one more time, John? It's, it's uh, Ilford. It's Art 300 paper. And it's, it's a, it's a semi-gloss, sort of a textured mat uh, with a warm tone, like sort of a creamy background. And I find... And these are like just the way you're describing it, actually. These are the papers that I used to seek out and pay quite a lot of money for back in the days when I developed um, my own images in the darkroom. It's been a couple of years. I actually walked into a darkroom about two years ago, but it's been a good two years. But anyway, back to the paper. The, those were the papers that I would seek out, actually. Thick, thick paper. So you feel like you're holding a photograph, you know? And... Um, Oh, good. So I'm, I'm actually going to put a link in the show notes if people want to check that one out because, um, yeah, because like paper is a big part of it for a lot of people. I think a lot of people are doing it for ease. You know, they're going digital for ease. But I don't know. There's something about producing a, a finely produced handcraft print, handcrafted print that for me also is rather special. And I do miss it indeed. I would say on the digital side, you know, I would agree that you can get very, very high quality inkjet prints, but it takes quite a bit of work and some gear to really do very good reproducible uh, work, like you know, monitor calibration, uh, the proper pigment-based ink systems, a high quality printer. So it, it's certainly not a um, a debate between ease of uh, convenience versus quality. I think the high end on both sides takes an awful lot of work. That's that's actually a really really good point. Um, you know, I we have a, like a pretty you know pretty active forum, and you know those people that come and post images on their monitors that are uncalibrated there's obviously a monster difference, right? Mm -hmm. So, and there's work in the calibration just as I guess there's work in the darkroom. So there's work when you want to get great results. I guess what we're saying is you kind of have to work a little bit. 
Let's talk about another couple of the advantages. Like, what do you see as advantages to shooting film? One thing I would say is a lot of the classic film gear is now quite affordable. And these are cameras that were considered pro or near pro in the day and still make incredible results. And you can get some of them for, uh, for, next, you know, for next to nothing. Yeah. Um, even even in the uh, the medium format area, area. So, for example, the medium format cameras I tend to shoot are from Mamiya, and they they shoot a negative that is either six centimeters by seven centimeters in size on one twenty, or I'm shooting six centimeters by four point five centimeters, also again on one twenty format film. And so it's a medium format negative. Uh, I got these cameras, you know, for a couple hundred dollars. And like digital medium format, you know, it's you're basically buying a car, right? Yeah, so yeah. The, the price, and when I scan these up or print them, it's just uh, getting um, really amazing quality for not a lot of money. And certainly in the 35 millimeter area, except for certain collector cameras, for example, you can get a. Uh, you, I'm sure you remember uh, Canon AE1. Sure. Which was I, one of the cameras I wanted desperately. In high school, my dad, my dad had, my dad had that camera. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it, it was just, it was a pervasive camera. You can get them now with lens for well under one hundred dollars, right? Or something like you know, the Pentax K one thousand, which was like the standard school camera yeah. for decades, or something like a Pentax, a Pentax ME or ME Super. Great kick butt little cameras for sometimes under fifty dollars, and so it's it almost becomes a just it's not much more expensive than some of the disposable cameras. Right, right. And you get amazing results. It's a whole lot of fun. And one thing, I, I guess I can't really call it a hard benefit, but what, what I really enjoy, especially using some of the older cameras, like an old Leica, I've also got a, a Contax rangefinder from the 1950s. These are the kinds of cameras that some of my personal photographic heroes, people like, um, oh, um, Kappa, or, uh, or Eisenstadt or Eugene Smith. Um, these are the cameras that these people used. And like, I'm not saying I use these cameras, my work will be as good as theirs, but I, it helps me feel a connection. And also aesthetically, I think these old cameras are beautiful. They have their own look and feel. Sometimes it's steampunk. It's like real, you know, it's glass, brass, and chrome. And I'll take that over plastic, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I could see it, actually. And, and you're right. You make a really good point. You know, some of these people are, you know, a lot of them, they're, they are considered masters of photography, right? So when you could actually own the same tools that the master the masters use, even if they, if, even if they are old photography masters, that's still something pretty special. I mean, their tools that they created their greatness with are affordable to anyone. And, you know, with some practice and, and a bit of vision, you could actually create something substantial. And I would say I would I would say that everything you learn about a film camera will help you make better digital pictures as well. It'll make you a more thoughtful photographer. I would say that too. And actually, one of the uh, things that I was thinking about in terms of the advantages of film photography is when I shot film, I slowed the heck down. You know, and one of the reasons is you know because film is not free these days. We buy a digital card, we fill it up, we dump the card 
you know, we have a new digital card. So film today for all intents and purposes or the recording material today for all intents and purposes is free. But back in the day, we cost us, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 bucks for a really good roll of black and white film for really good roll and then another maybe 15, 20 bucks to send it to a lab to get developed if we didn't develop it ourselves. We invested more money in our photography, I think, just 10 years ago before we mm -hmm. uh, got into this digital explosion. And for me, I think one of the advantage is really is film slows you down or it can slow you down or it should slow you down. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that statement? Oh, definitely. Um, if, if you think every time you're clicking the button, you're putting, let's say, a quarter into the machine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's every, every click is a cha-ching then you definitely uh, want to uh, think about what you're shooting and not just, you know, set uh, set your high-end camera to, you know, six frames a second. Right. And take 600 pictures in the hopes that one or two will come out. Uh, what I would love for someone, you know, even if they're a digital, uh, cover up, the, you know, go get a small, like really small uh, memory card, smallest one that your camera will take, one that will only give you 10 or 12 pictures, Put some tape over the LCD on the back, and as an exercise, go out with 10 frames. And I guarantee you, it will change your eye. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I think that's really smart, actually. And you know what? And it's, and it's true, and you will. And you're going to spend more time composing, and you're going to spend more time thinking about exposure. You're going to get better pictures because you're slowing down. You know, when you take more time to think about composition and exposure versus not thinking about composition and exposure, you know, and just rattling off a bunch of frames and like you say, hoping one comes out, our, the quality of the photo is going to go up, obviously, you know, so even if people don't know, and, and we could talk about this shortly, even if people don't know how to develop their own film or print their own uh, photos, holy moly, just, just slowing down and making sure all everything is recorded properly on film or on digital and that mm -hmm. the composition you know has has some meat obviously just that is going to make the uh you know the quality rise exactly i have uh friends who shoot on eight by ten view cameras and uh, one piece of eight by ten film that's a, that's the cost of a meal right so you are, you know, the, there's a reason 8x10 cameras don't have motor drives. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, so the people who can, might be spending, the, you know, the better part of half an hour or 45 minutes taking, you know, multiple exposure readings, making sure everything is perfect before they, uh, they click the shutter button. And, and, of course, that's an extreme case. That's yeah. very, very expensive film. Yeah. But it's not bad to take some of that mentality into every other format, whether it's film or digital. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And just talking about, you know, the older film photographers, you know, uh, the icon Ansel Adams, you know, he obviously would have gone up with, again, just like you say, you know, maybe, I don't know, 12 um, film holders, you know, full of film into his, his larger cameras. And that's what he would have taken. And he would have waited maybe for hours for the right light. Um, and he would have composed very, very carefully. So it's this slowing down that, again, is really going to increase the quality, I think. You know, I keep telling people this um, lately a lot. You know, when we look through our viewfinder, we are responsible for every single millimeter that is in the image. Once, exactly. we, pre once we press the button, 
we are responsible for every millimeter. If there was some garbage on the left side or the right side, or something should have been cropped, it's your fault. You put it there. You know, um, if there's a lamppost that you didn't see and it's leaving the frame, and your image would have been stronger had you cropped that out, you put it there. It's your fault. But when you rattle off six frames a second, you might not feel that there's there's anything to conquer. But when you're when you're shooting 10 frames in a day, like you say, you're going to make bloody sure that there's no distraction at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. If you're, Im if you're imagining that your viewfinder is a clock kind of thing and you look all around your viewfinder, again, it's just slowing you the heck down so that your quality goes way up. And for me, that's huge, actually. Let, let's actually get into, um, you know couple of the myths of film photography these days you know can, can you find film these days john uh do you have to make your own film these days john is it is it hard to find film <laughs> well i go on safari by a canoe to rochester once a year to the, uh, the ruins of the kodak factory and i do a dig uh okay i'll stop my attempt at humor uh film is not hard to get especially in 35 millimeter format and 120. Now, not every drugstore is going to have it like they used to. Like some of the, uh, you know, the traditional sources, they, there's no margin for them to sell film anymore. Even some of the camera stores that have gone almost completely uh, digital. Although recently at uh, in Ottawa at the PAB 2012, I was pleasantly surprised that a Blacks actually had four different choices of black and white film. If you work in a big city, if you work or live in a big city, there's normally at least one camera store that will still do the film. Uh, in uh, in Toronto, there's uh, this isn't really a plug for them. There's one called Downtown Camera that, as other camera stores have um, sort of gotten away from the uh, the film, they're picking up the business and they can't keep the stuff in stock. They get a lot of business. Also, um, and even with the, the shipping can sometimes make it not as much of a bargain, if you're ordering from the U.S., there are places like Freestyle or uh, B&H Photo that, um, that still sell plenty of uh, black and white and color film in all kinds of formats and, uh, and, you know, and sizes. And you can get some interesting stuff like uh, infrared or orthochromatic film that can get different effects. And it's ironic that uh, in this age of the, the so-called film decline, some of the best film stocks that have ever made are available today. Like for example, a couple of uh, Kodak uh, film, color film stocks, their Ektar 100 and uh, their Portra series are probably the best color negative films that have ever been made. And there's amazing black and white. Um, both uh, coming out of Kodak, uh, Ilford, there are, uh, there's stuff coming out of Czechoslovakia and China. This is all really, really good film. And uh, what's neat is you get films that have very kind of different characteristics and flavors and styles and, and looks. So it's, that's one advantage of a film camera. If I, let's say, go from Portrait 400 and switch over to um, let's say something like uh, Fomapan 100, which is a sort of a, a classic-looking black and white film. That's like changing my sensor, and, and you can't do that in a digital camera unless you're uh, pretty good at it. Right, right. I mean, I mean, I guess you might try and emulate that effect in post-processing, mm -hmm. maybe. But again, there's some, I don't know. Uh, there's something about doing it in camera um, on film that actually feels good. 
<laughs> kind of thing, you know? Yeah, and, and don't discount that. If the process is enjoyable, like I said, this goes back to it being a journey as much as a destination. If uh, you enjoy working with the film and, and it inspires you, you'll create better work. Yeah, 100% you will. Of course you will. Let's talk a little bit about... Um, Actually, let's talk a little bit about how difficult it is to learn how to process your own black and white film. And let's talk about a little bit how difficult it is to learn how to print in a darkroom. Um, I mean, I know the answers to these questions, but uh, you're practicing today, so I'd rather uh, have you answer them, John. How difficult is it? You know, what kind of a learning curve are people in for if they, if they want to uh, start on this uh, film journey, let's say? Well, I'd say it's mainly good news. Developing black and white negatives is quite straightforward. You don't need a lot of expensive equipment to develop black and white film. You basically need um, the chemicals, which not as easy to get as they used to be, but there's, again, there's normally one store in town that uh, should have the stuff, or you can order it online. You need a what's called a developing tank and a reel. This is the thing that you load the, uh, the film onto. And once the film is loaded in the tank, everything else takes place in room light. The only time you need darkness, abs uh, complete and utter darkness, is when you're loading the film onto the reel. And that takes a little bit of practice, but uh, hey, I know how to do it, and I'm not Mr. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not particularly, uh, oh, I'm losing the word now. Um, agile or dexterous. Agile. I'm not, yeah, I don't have, I'm not super <laughs> dexterity man. So it's... Uh, it, it's quite easy to do, and a lot of it's just attention to detail. Not hard details, but just things like keeping your temperature uh, consistent, that kind of thing. And, and what a lot of people do is they'll sort of go halfway. They'll develop the negatives, and then getting something like an Epson V500 or another film scanner will scan the negatives and then into digital files, and then you can go into, so it's called a hybrid workflow, and then you can go in and uh, do a lot of things to those negatives that were a lot easier than doing it the old-fashioned way, and and print uh, print thought and print pictures that way. So let's say if you want to do some toning, if you want to bring out some glow, like this is stuff that I tend to do, and I, I make no bones about it. I like the hybrid workflow. It means that there are some, you know, say film-only fundamentalists who would excommunicate me for that. But I'm, <laughs> I'm too busy making. I'm too busy making pictures to worry about orthodoxy. Right. That's how I look at it. Um, but then, you know, uh, I will like for the final for final work, I will do. I will go into the dark room and uh, and do the prints and and the, the for for printing in a dark room that does take a bit more equipment because you need to get an enlarger, which. Uh, I wouldn't bother trying to buy new these days. They are still made, but they're expensive. But if you keep an eye out on Craigslist or Kijiji or, or eBay or something, you can quite often find a larger for next to nothing. Or you might have someone who said, oh, I used to do that 20 years ago. I have stuff in my basement. Want to come take it away for free? Yeah. Because, you know, larger, uh, that's, that's one good thing about uh, a lot of this film gear. It can be 30 years old and still work fine. Yeah as opposed to, let's say, a five-year-old digital camera, which is considered a, a boat anchor at that point. 
absolutely. Let's let's backtrack uh, two minutes about something you said that was interesting about your hybrid workflow that you sometimes do. So you'll take the image with black and white, you, mm-hmm. with a with a black and white camera, let's say on black and white film. You'll mm-hmm. scan it. You'll yeah. bring you'll bring that image into let's say a graphics program like Photoshop. Do some toning, yes. some dodging mm-hmm. and burning perhaps. Yeah. And then how do you get it back uh, to negative format so that you could print it in the darkroom? Well, some there's two different ways. Like some ways, you know, I will print on an inkjet. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's let's say if there's a certain kind of toning that uh, is is difficult to uh, to get done in a darkroom. Yeah. So quite often I will print on inkjet. Or what I can do, and this is what I've done for certain alternative uh, processes, is I will print what's called a digital negative, which basically I get the picture done. I will then invert it. And like invert the tones in uh, the digital program so that it looks like a negative, and print onto a high quality transparency stock. Interesting. And so let's say you know eight by ten transparency stock, and then I will do a contact print. And in a dark room, a contact print is one where you don't use an enlarger. You you have a little uh, sort of a little frame like a, a glass frame that sandwiches. The, con- the the negative right against the, uh, the the paper that you're exposing that you're printing onto, and then you expose that to light. And I've used that for some of the older there's some old processes I've used called cyanotype and Van Dyke Brown, where your enlarger or your light source is actually in or ultraviolet. You print by exposing it to the sun for a few minutes, and uh, I get amazing results. And I couldn't do it without that digital piece in the middle. Very cool. Very, very interesting. Um, I mean, that way, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with this uh, terminology. I mean, that's the same way we used to actually make a contact sheet of our negatives, right? Yeah, we, yeah it was the exact same way. Um, and again, because like the negative... Um, there are there's so oh, we could talk about this forever but i think we're getting I, I, I think we're getting too technical for a lot of people so like uh you know let's let's move on a little bit but like uh, i agree with you like in terms of the developing the actual film you could actually give it to a lab if you find one and they could do it for you or develop it yourself the uh, the film developing part of it is actually for me it's rather mechanical um you know there are some artsy fartsy ways to tweak the actual development of the film but for me, it's always been mostly a mechanical process, and, and I, I would always get far more effects and far more uh, meat in the performance aspect of the print, in the actual printing of the print, in the darkroom, by selectively dodging and burning uh, areas of the print in order to make them uh, sing, to make them luminous kind of thing. And I guess I just wanted to, to mention or throw out there, and, and I'll get your, your opinion in a sec, I mean, even people that want to print on an inkjet printer, right? I mean, everyone kind of wants to think they're a photographer, but it takes skill. You know, all facets of photography take skill. If you want to print properly on an inkjet printer, you're not going to do it uh, the first time you try because it takes skill. You have to learn about contrast control, local contrast control, dodging and burning, making things lighter and darker, even in this digital world. So, yes, although there is going to be um, a curve when we're talking about printing uh, old-style, you know, film, there's a learning curve to printing, period, to to, to getting any type of quality out of your inkjet printer. There's a learning curve involved there, too. And like we actually mentioned maybe a few minutes ago, when you know the principles of how to do this film-wise, the digital work becomes a million times easier. Agreed. 
percent. Yeah, because and it's, and it's ironic that we we use like terms uh, dodging and burning. Yeah, of course. Those come directly from the darkroom world. Yeah. In fact, you know, a lot of Photoshop, a lot of the, you know, uh, unsharp mask. You know, mm-hmm. we we think this is a new term. You know that uh, you know that that Photoshop invented, and not so. Unsharp mask has been around for a hundred years. Or more. It's a way just to get better sharpness out of your negatives, and they transferred it over to, uh, you know, to one of the aspects of uh, Photoshop, of, of actual Photoshop, which is uh, pretty cool because digital photography comes from, you know, film photography. Mm-hmm. Film photography is the father of, you know, of digital photography, obviously. So knowing one helps the other. Definitely. If people did want to uh, print, though, let's say they wanted to try their hand at printing, um, there is a learning curve there, uh, of course. Mm-hmm. Where would they even learn to do it? Do you have any suggestions? Well, luckily on the internet, there is just so much information <laughs> available. Yeah. Um, if you're into, you know, uh, there's a lot of good information on a site called apug.org, and apug stands for Analog Photographer User Group. Uh, these folks can be a bit fundamentalist when it comes to film only, but there's still an awful lot of, uh, of good information. Sure. And you could even just Google learning darkroom and you will get, you know, hundreds and thousands of, uh, of links to, you know, on online resources that will take you step by step right through what you need to do and, uh, and what you need to try. Uh, and if someone gets really, really into it and wants to get their stuff to a high end, you mentioned Ansel Adams. He wrote uh, three books, The Camera, The Negative, and The Print, which are considered Bibles in the film photography world. Sure. And even if, even if you just do, uh, if, you're, if you're only going to stick with digital, there's still an awful lot of wisdom in those three books that uh, would would help make you a better photographer. Absolutely, I agree. They uh, back in the day when I went to film school, some year uh, when went to photography school um, years back. I mean, those three are they're still in my collection today, actually. And uh, I totally agree with you; they're well worth the read. Um, you know, Ansel Adams called the print the actual performance. So even after we've we've you know we've captured all the uh, information on our cards, he called the the negative, or or I guess the way we're recording now, he called that the uh, the score, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah the score. He, he said the negative is the score. Yeah, the print is the performance. Yeah, exactly. So you know you have to capture all the good detail uh, you can with good exposure, and we're going to talk about exposure shortly. Um, you have to capture all the good in, you know the good information with good exposure, but then it's up to you to make uh, that print sing and that can only be done in the dark room in the old in the olden days and still today as some of us are doing but again that same principle still holds big time uh, with uh, digital printing you need to spend a little bit of time uh, dodging and burning and adjusting levels and curves just doing all the basic stuff we did in the dark room to make that print sing Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about exposure. Exposure is a big one. You know, these days most of us are shooting digitally. We take an exposure. Uh, it's too dark. We let more light into the camera. You know, and if it's too bright, we cut exposure from the scene. Uh, we just do this with our eyes now because of the the gift of instant feedback. We're missing that gift, shall we say, in uh, film photography. And exposure is a bit different. Can you can you tell us why it's a little bit different, John, and how you go about? Uh, assuring or trying to assure that you have great negatives. Okay, and what I'll do is uh, I'm going to give two answers. Sure. Based on the the two main kinds of uh, color film 
that our, our black our film that you run across in uh, film world, uh, which is slide and uh, negative. Sure. Uh, slide film, uh, these like the Kodachromes or the Ektachromes that uh, people's parents and grandparents would have taken, still capable of very very good color. Um, it's actually similar in a lot of ways to uh, to digital. Um, that uh, when you're exposing the highlights of an image, if if there's too much light and there's no highlight detail, nothing in the world will bring it back. And it's like if you take a, a digital picture and it's overexposed and, and you look at the histogram and it's basically a flat line up on the right-hand side, that means there is no detail. The whites are clipped. The whites are clipped. So. Right. You you need to when you when you the when you're, the old saying was for slide film was you would expose for the highlights and let the shadows fall where they may. Right. Now uh, negative film, particularly black and white negative film, has uh, more latitude in terms of overexposure. So the the old saying used to be for black and white is that uh, you would expose for the shadows and develop for the highlights. Um, so it means you'd uh, give a bit more exposure, perhaps, so that there'd be adequate shadow detail, and you wouldn't have to worry too much about the uh, the highlights blocking up, because there'd be ways to develop the film to still maintain shadow detail, and you can have a um, a black and white, particularly a black and white negative, that let's say is uh, two even three stops overexposed and is still capable of um, a very, very good uh, highlight detail. You just have to print longer. The flip side is, I think I find that if you underexpose negative film quite a bit, while you can still brighten up the contrast, I find that tends to accentuate the grain. Right, right. So, so what I tend to do is err on the side of overexposure with, uh, with negative film. Right. Which is what um, you know. It's it's a it's a tried and true method. I used to whenever I shoot film photography, I do the exact same thing. I actually uh, overexpose a little bit going in just to protect the shadows because in a similar in a similar way that once the whites are clipped in digital photography, once the shadows have been exposed in uh, film photography, if the shadows did not get enough exposure, they're dead. They are the shadows are clipped. There's no information in those shadows, so mm -hmm. we really have to watch the limits of whatever medium we're using to make sure, um, you know, to get as much usable information as we can. I'd say the good news is, especially in the area of black and white film, is that there are a number of films, like films like Tri-X, 400, that um, they were designed quite often for cameras that had a limited range of shutter speeds and f-stops. Right. So they were designed to to give usable information um, on both sides of the perfect exposure. So what you can do is go outside on a, uh, let's say it's a sunny day with a black and white uh, film camera and you can use what's called the sunny 16 rule where uh, you can say uh, you take the, uh, you set the aperture to f-16 and the shutter speed to the closest one that's to the um, the speed of the film. So let's say you're shooting 100 ISO film, um, you would, and it's a sunny day outside. You would set uh, the shutter speed to 100, the 125th, whichever is closer, and the uh, the, the f-stop to 16, or an equivalent combination. And as long as the light stays more or less the same, you don't have to worry about exposures much anymore for certain kinds of shooting. Right. Just so people know that this principle also still holds today. 
if you rate your digital uh, card as you you know as you bought rated film uh you could actually achieve this today but it just again it's just to uh, support the point that um you actually have a basis for exposure right so it's not all guesswork we we if we think about exposure and we think about the light conditions that we're shooting in we actually know the exposure we don't even need a, a light meter the light meter just kind of helps us it's it's a bit of a it's a very good crutch that we need but you know great masters never used a light meter they just knew under this light this was the exposure their light meter was behind their eyes. Their light meter was behind their eyes, indeed. And, um, you know, it just goes to show you that we could learn a lot upon the shoulders of those that came before us. And, you know, it should be easier and easier to make uh, better and better prints based upon the experience of others. One thing I would say about light meters, is let's say if you have a, an old film camera that, A, didn't have a light meter, yeah, uh, which is quite common, or... The light meter is no longer working on the camera, which is also quite common, but you can still set it manually. There is an application for the iPhone, which is pretty ubiquitous, called Pocket Light Meter. And it's either free or cheap, and it uses the light meter that belongs to the camera and the iPhone. Uh, and it's pretty accurate. I, I use it quite a bit. I just came into contact with this, uh, this app maybe two months ago and saw it in action for the first time. And I must say, um, I don't think it was as sophisticated as my camera's meter because I did some very unscientific head-to-head -head tests for about 10 minutes. But uh, it did work well. It did work well overall, I must say. Especially for black and white, where you have that latitude. That's right. Before we continue, uh, I'd like to say that a lot of the stuff that we're talking about today is going to be in the show notes. Hopefully, John uh, will help me make a, a bit of a list of the things we spoke about today, as well as some of the resources that I have. I'm going to put it in the show notes. So if people do want to uh, learn a little bit more about um, shooting film and developing and printing film, that they have some extra resources. But I'd actually like to end by uh, letting you talk a little bit about uh, your own work, John, and um, by letting you uh, introduce people to to your website where they can find some of your work. So um, I'm going to leave the last few minutes in your hands, John. Why don't uh, you tell us what you're doing and where we can find out more about you? Okay. Uh, a lot of my work right now, I'd say the last year or so, has been heavily based on portrait photography and creative projects that involve portraits. We're working with a lot of, of models. And my, my work is unabashedly sort of retro or vintage tinged so that I'll, I like toned black and white um, or alternative process, stuff that uh, has a bit of a, you know, history to it. Sure. But, uh, but what I do, well, at the same time as I use these, uh, these old techniques, I like to introduce modern themes and modern looks into the images. So let's say I, you know, I work, might work with a lot of uh, what are called alternative models. Like these are women who've got tattoos and piercings and weird hairstyles. Everything you didn't see a hundred years ago because I find the clash of the modern sensibilities with old techniques uh, really, really interesting. I've also started working on using hand tinting, which is using the stuff called Marshall photo oils, which has been around forever, to, uh, to make darkroom prints and to apply uh, tinting in a hand way, what really appeals to me there is that each print, just by definition, is completely unique right. because it's, everything is hand done and I could never do it the same way twice. My work is available uh, two places on Flickr. I'm flickr.com slash John Meadows. Uh, I think that's the URL. We better, it'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure it's in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. And my photo blog, and I try and post there a few times a week, at least twice a week, 
is johnmeadowsphotography.com. And that will take you to, uh, to my photo blog. And those are going to go into the, uh, the show notes as well as uh, for easy finding. All right. Thanks so much uh, for that great information, John. Uh, I know people will be checking out your work. I hope it's okay if you allow us uh, to use one of your images uh, as one of the show note images as well. Please do. Uh, thanks so much. But I'd like to give you the last word one more time. What would you like to uh, end with in telling us about uh, film photography, John? Uh, just some, maybe a, a couple of tips on buying a film camera since they tend not to make them new right. any, anymore. <laughs> and, and so here are, I just want to give three key points to keep in mind. Um, if you're buying like a, a really old camera, find out what kind of batteries it uses and Google the battery type because a lot of the old cameras use mercury cell batteries, which are illegal now. And so sometimes you can switch in other batteries. Sometimes you can just use the camera completely manual, load a battery. But this is something that you need to check so you don't get stuck with something you can't use. Also, for, battery, for camera with battery compartments, compartments, if you're able to look at the camera in person, uh, open up the battery compartment and check it to see if there's any oxidation or acid that's come from a leaky battery. Or if you can't see it, um, like I say, you're ordering it online, ask the seller to do the same. That's probably the number one cause of dead cameras. Also, for getting uh, for film cameras with interchangeable lenses, it's important to realize that uh, lens mounts change over time. So, for example, the, the, the Canon lenses made in the 1970s, the FD lenses won't work on today's camera or will only work partially with adapters. Nikon, it's sort of the same story back from the 70s. So it's important overall just to do your homework when buying a 35 millimeter or any kind of film camera. Awesome tips, John. I really appreciate your time today. Again, links are going to go in the show notes one more time. And again, if you want to check out John's work, it's johnmeadowsphotography.com. Thanks so much for doing this, John. Really, really, really appreciate it. I had a blast. And uh, hopefully uh, we've turned a couple of people on to, uh, you know, one person <laughs> from North America and one person from Europe. Even if there's two people that we turn on to film photography, uh, it'll be two more people uh, enjoying the, uh, the craft. Works for me. Thanks so much for doing this, John. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Marco. And I'd like to thank uh, John Meadows one last time for that uh, fabulous and informative interview. If you want to check out uh, John's site, johnmeadowsphotography.com, link to go in the show notes. If by chance you live near Montreal and you're coming to Montreal and uh, you're looking to take a photo tour of our fair city, uh, I've been offering photo tours and uh, they've been going really well and it's more than my pleasure to take you on a private tour. Uh, the tours that I'm doing are private, so they're like one-person tours or two-person tours and that way uh, the interaction just goes way up. And if you're looking for photography instruction, I also uh, do that as well, and it's been going super well. So if any of those things interest you, feel free to check out uh, markokulik.com slash bookme. A link will go in the show notes, and um, it will be more than my pleasure to meet you when you come to Montreal. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. If you do have an old film camera lying around somewhere, or maybe your parents or grandparents have one, maybe now's the time to dig it out, uh, buy a roll of film. They're still available. Uh, try it out. You might just like it, but whatever you do, keep on shooting. Bye for now, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>